0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: EJ, we have a tall order ahead of us today not only are we starting with the last division of this division preview series but this is one of the hardest tasks that we've had in the entire series this 40 episode long uh, leviathan that we call the offseason preview series this might be the hardest one you know why mostly i do <laughs> because our task today should you choose to accept it, is to inspire hope in Seattle Seahawks fans. We're going to try. No guarantee of victory, but as God is my witness, we will try. Uh, there's There's not a whole lot that we can say to cover the sting of losing Russell Wilson and the greatest player in franchise history and knowing that no matter what the franchise did. He was probably gone. There were multiple years of back and forth and rumors, and supposedly it started when they first looked at Josh Allen when he was coming out, and it just kind of went downhill over a long period of time. And and even if Seahawks fans didn't want it to be true, deep in the back of their head, I think they knew it was coming, which makes it hurt worse in some ways. They did not. The ones I talked to did. The ones I talked to could tell for years like something was going bad, and if it was coming down to Pete versus Russ, Russ was going to get out of there.
0: True. And many rational Seahawks fans now, after the fact, say that they believed that. But all of the ones that I talked to last year, even the really smart ones, were like, No, man, you're nuts. It's never going to happen. And I was like, "Eh, it might. And they're like, no. And it was pure denial and fear because they know what's on the other side of having a good quarterback. which is where we're at now (laughs) especially if they've been seahawks fans for a long time they understand what happens if that is not the case and then they had rust they had stability and they had success and they loved it and they got real 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 used to it and then so when you suggested i'm gonna take your blankie they were like no (laughs) so uh anyways it happened uh although we said it might happen i'm not Happy that it happened. I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm I'm thrilled. I, I loved watching Russ play in Seattle, as did most Seahawks fans. And it was time, and it does bring us some opportunities to talk about what's next and some fresh stuff. And there is some good stuff there. So if we're going to focus on hope, because I kind of had to talk about the Seahawks thing down, but I was with you until you said inspire hope, and then I was like, oh. So there are some good nuggets in there. There are some fun changes, some things that will be better this year. Yes, Seahawks fans, some things will be better. Will all things be better? No. Will the record be better? Probably not. But there are some things that are better. and We'll focus on those.
1: I'll just say this. You and I are going to be at Russ's return Monday Night Football week one. We're going to be there. Same seats we were in last year uh, when the Titans came to town. And I came up week two for that game. We're going back to the same seats, uh, right over where uh, where they raised the flag. I think Doug Baldwin did it when I was there yep. at the Titans game. I would love to see who they're going to get to raise it in Russ's return. I, That's I, I have no be a Can thing. I nominate Sierra? <laughs> is that who we can get up there?
0: <laughs> they they they're really good. The twelfth man flag is a is a tradition. If you're not familiar with it, if you haven't been to a Seahawks game, every. Every game before the game, they raise the 12th man flag and they get somebody to do it. And they have had a really fun i would say wide array of people it's not all former seahawks eddie vetter's done it before um just a really interesting tradition and uh the week that you came up your first seahawks game i think in now lumen field doug baldwin did it and that was a that was a classic doug baldwin's a classic seahawk a class act as a person Getting to see him raise the 12 flag it was really fun um i've seen a good number as a former season ticket holder of folks raise that flag and it's it's a super fun tradition so the russ return game raises a sort of really interesting question like are you going to try and turn the knife
1: are you going to try and soften the blow which way are we going to go here for me my choice just to throw him off his game uh if that's even possible for Russ wilson you get golden tate up there maybe future have have both of them raise the flag together Try to piss off Russ as much as humanly possible. Maybe you don't want to invite that. Maybe you don't want to invite the bad juju. But just saying, if you really want to twist the knife, those are options.
0: There's so many choices here. And now I'm going to be fascinated as much in that as the matchup, which is going to be really cool. And I'm glad we're going to be at the game. I'm actually going to see the Seahawks twice uh, within the first like three weeks because I'm going to the Seahawks or sorry, Bears Seahawks preseason game uh, in the middle of August. Is that a week two or week three? Uh, it's the
1: 19th, I think, so I don't I don't know which week. I think is, that's the one word, like, people actually play in it, so that should be oh, fun.
0: <laughs> the funny thing is Matt Eberflus, the Bears coach, said that starters are going to play for him because in the preseason, which is not typical if you don't watch the NFL preseason, as a lot of folks don't, uh, but as hardcore junkies of the league and folks that love UDFAs battling for roster spots, we do, and Eberflus said uh, he wants the starters to get time and gel together, so they're going to play, so I'm probably going to get to see a little Justin Fields that uh, that week which would be really fun typically the starting quarterback does not play so yeah it's uh I'm gonna be at uh, Lumen Field twice before we even get this whole thing rolling
1: well why don't we look back at 2021 the last time I was there uh give a little bit of a, a 2021 recap before we get into all of the I would call it good stuff uh mild stuff of the 2022 offseason uh they did finish seven and ten last in the division mired by injuries, including to Russ himself. You know, Geno Smith had to come in and play, and there were a couple winnable games that they had with Geno that just kind of fell apart late, two back-to-back, if I recall correctly, actually. Um, One of which, was it the Steelers? I think they were playing against the Steelers on primetime, and, like, they, they were in it and definitely could have won it, but Geno just couldn't quite get him over the hump. So there were a couple more wins to be had, and if Russ played the entire year... You could argue that he would have gotten those wins and made a playoff push and done normal Russ things. Then Seattle would have been there in January, and it would have been Russ versus the world again in the playoffs. The overall roster was not in a place where they could have seriously contended with the Rams or the Bucks or any of those NFC powerhouses, but they at least might have been there in the playoffs. But Russ got hurt. Shit happened. The divorce became... All but official became <laughs> apparent that things needed to to split up, go separate ways. He got traded, all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that in a second. Home record three and five, road record four and five, three and two in their last five games. Obviously, when Russ came back, injured as he was, they did make a little bit of a push, but just too little, too late. Nothing they could do, really do about it. Um, the thing that kind of stood out to me was even in the games that Russ was healthy. They were not the home field fortress that we're used to seeing from Seattle. That game we were at against the Titans, like they were in control. They were winning that game handily, I would even argue, early on. But Derrick Henry just kept coming and just kept coming. And they hit a couple big balls deep down the field. Derrick breaks off a big run. Titans are right back in it. And you could just feel things unravel. And even Russ, in all of his might couldn't contain that game and just win it by himself and pull off that Russ magic. Like we were so used to seeing even he could not overcome the rest of his roster in Seattle. And that game, I think uh, at least for me was the first signal that things weren't right. Cause that in, in prime Seattle years, that was a very winnable game that they absolutely would have come away with. And they just couldn't close the door the entire time. And I think we just saw that over and over and over again. And by the end of the year, even when Russ was hurt and then coming back and trying to play injured and all that kind of stuff, by the end of the year, it became very apparent that whatever magic this franchise had, it just wasn't there anymore.
0: The cracks have been around for several years, but Russ has masked many of them and made those late-season runs and the pushes and put them up, kept them in contention. So a lot of people were wondering when the wheels were really going to start to fall all the way off. We saw that early on last year, week two, and then he got hurt, and it became really apparent that without Russ oops yeah this isn't there's not enough left the defense is not a def was not a defense that could contain people uh and control a game the offense still had some firepower but injuries and inconsistency quarterback play all that stuff and it just looked bad it was laid bare at that point and everybody kind of got a chance to take a look and the only hope for a quick fix was, oh, we'll keep Russ. Maybe we'll draft well, and then you know that we'll just sort of bounce right back. When it became apparent that that was not going to be the case, everybody came to the realization that it was going to be a longer process. This was not going to be a, a you know the rubbery
1: rebound that Seahawks were used to. That this was going to be a bit of a rebuild. You know. I, I do wonder if the Jamal Adams trade never happened, you know, what, what would this franchise look like right now? And and this is nothing against Jamal Adams. Like I do think he's a really good player. And I think he brought something that defense that they desperately needed, which was a pass rusher. Weird as that is to say for a safety, but at when he was healthy at times, he was their most effective pass rusher. If you look at pass rush, win rate, it, it was actually kind of stunning, but They didn't have a first round draft pick in 2022 and the roster was thin and needed to be restocked. They didn't have a first or a third the year before that. So they were, they were facing a crisis where they knew they had to reload, but didn't have the assets to reload. And the only way they could reload was by unloading Russ and getting the assets back, which is what they ended up doing. But There was no way to make Russ happy by investing the assets they needed to do to get the talent they needed to surround him with. They didn't have the money or the picks to do so. So it became really clear towards the end of the year that it was time to rip off the Band-Aid, and they did. And, you know, Russ went down to Denver, and they got a more talented roster down there. They're going to be legitimate contenders, all that good stuff. It worked out for Russ. But I do wonder if that Adams trade didn't happen, and they had those extra picks to, you know, pick up offensive linemen or receiver, whatever the hell he wanted. If they just had those assets and didn't use them on a, on Jamal Adams, a safety, would this team look different today? And by that, it would, I mean, what would Russ still be there? I, yeah, I I would say yeah, probably. And I'm not
0: sure that's the best thing, and I know that sounds heretical. That sounds like heresy. Uh, Russ is getting to the point where he wants to take a couple shots with a fully loaded contender, and he gets to do that in Denver. So agreed it worked out for him. The parallels between this and the Kansas City choice this offseason of whether or not to keep Tyreek Hill are visible right? Do we keep the one preeminent player? Now it's way more important because it's a quarterback, not a wide receiver. So I'm not equating the importance of those positions, but in terms of a financial hit, in terms of draft capital for both franchises, the choice is, do we keep this one player and keep trying to patch it around him? Because we're going to have to spend either a ton of money to do that or a ton of draft picks. Like, Kansas City said, nope, we're going to trade away Tyreek. We're going to take all those assets and we're going to, in their case, reload because they already had their quarterback. With the Seattle situation, we're going to take all those picks and we're going to rebuild because we don't have the answer at the most important position. But the choice is similar, one player or many players and and rebuild the base. Uh, And both teams made a similar choice, but it puts them in very different positions because KC has a quarterback and Seattle, I would argue, Uh, doesn't have the quarterback of the future on the roster right now.
1: Well, before we get to all of the assets, they did get out of the rust trade and how they used them. And to be honest, I think they they did really well. We've talked very positively about their draft uh, since the draft happened. And and we'll kind of go over that in a bit. Before we get to how they use those assets, we need to talk about the people that did use the assets and kind of recap the power structure of the Seahawks who's running things, not just at the very, very top, but also the coordinator level and the assistants underneath them. John Schneider and Pete Carroll, the dynamic duo, year 13. Some would say that maybe, maybe they missed a window to potentially bring in new blood. I would probably agree with that assessment, since it cost them Russell Wilson, <laughs> apparently. But what's done is done. They're still there. They're still trying to reload and, and rebuild this thing within a two-year window and try to make another run with Pete. They made their decision. I'm, I'm not saying I agree with it, but they're there. Carl Smith, uh, associate head coach or assistant head coach, Carl Smith, second year on the job. Uh, they also have an assistant head coach slash defense, which is, is Sean Desai, who is one of the best defensive coaches in the league, regardless of position coach or you know, pass defensive coordinator, whatever role you want to assign him in terms of somebody who knows how to design an effective pass defense. And I think in terms of teaching his guys how to communicate, how to respond to certain looks with checks and constantly be in the right position, he's very good at building bust-proof secondaries, if that makes sense, in the sense that if guys get beat they're just getting beat. They're not missing assignments. That's what I've always liked about, you know, Sean Desai anywhere he's been. The communication and everybody's just doing their job. Again, you're going to lose some one-on-ones, but there's none of these, um uh you know, Dan Sorensen, you know, Tyron Matthew throwing his hand in the air because somebody's running completely uncovered deep down the field. That doesn't really happen with Sean Desai defenses. So I think that... He's an amazing addition for them from that standpoint in the fact that we know the defense is going to communicate well. He's very good at getting his defenses to communicate. Uh, offensive coordinator Shane Waldron, year two there, comes uh, from formerly the Rams. I'm curious to see how different the offense looks with Russell Wilson not there because by the end of last year, we've talked about this multiple times, They just started running the Russell Wilson offense. They did not work the middle of the field. You know, most of the passing game was we're going to stick in the gun, three-step, all that kind of stuff. They didn't really do any sort of normal, you know, under center, five-step drop back pass game. Like, they didn't do any of that because Russell doesn't do that. So I'm curious to see how things change this year with a different quarterback that, you know, runs different stuff or prefers different stuff. Will Shane Waldron Uh, you know, completely remake his offense again and maybe be more what he wants to run and not what Russell Wilson wanted to run. Uh, Clint Hurt, year six with the organization, but first year as DC, an amazing defensive line coach, uh, also really good as an outside linebackers coach, which he did in Chicago, uh, was there with Leonard Floyd in his rookie year. And one of Floyd's most productive years, period, was his rookie year under Clint Hurt. So I think that he's going to be awesome for Boye Mafé uh, and probably Achena Nwosu as well, who's for now the starter ahead of Mafé at Sam, but both those guys are really talented. I think Clint Hurt's going to do wonderful things with them. And then Larry Izzo, year five with the organization. He's the special teams coordinator. I know him as the former Texan special teams coordinator I've heard nothing but good things about him in the locker room. Apparently people love him, love going to work with him every single day. Uh, Also, you know, former special teams legend himself, Larry Izzo. One of the only guys, actually, you know, I think the only guy ever to pee on the sidelines without Bill Belichick knowing about it. So that's his claim to fame. These are the kind of, and I hesitate (laughs) to say nuggets that you get on the Bootleg
0: Football Podcast. (laughs) But overall, all jokes aside, this is a formidable staff and I love the defensive changes in particular I'm excited I'll talk about the offensive side for Shane Waldron I'm excited for Shane Waldron and I bet he is too it's amazing to get to work with a Hall of Fame quarterback in Russell Wilson but he didn't really get to call things and again we've talked about this multiple times he kind of started to try and run his offense and then Russ went hey what are you doing and I think Shane probably looked at Pete Carroll and went is this how this is going to go and Pete went yep This is how this is going to go. Do what he says. He's the man. So he doesn't have that anymore. He doesn't have that presence of Russell Wilson, which is a towering presence if you're talking about Seahawks tradition. So I'm really interested to see if we're going to see Noah Fant running down the seam like Tyler Higbee. You know, are we going to see some of those weapons used in different ways? Some of the assets they've acquired, uh, creating, different offensive looks and sets than Seahawks fans have seen for the entire Russ era. That would be exciting. Would it work as well? We'll see, but it would be exciting. And on the defensive side, I have been banging the drum that the Seahawks needed a change on the defensive side away from Ken Norton Jr. for a couple of years because he hasn't been able to keep up. He hasn't been able to counterpunch. And I know boxing runs in the Norton family. He's not been able to set up a defense that could roll with the punches and flex as offenses adapt as they do relentlessly in the NFL. He's just been overmatched, and it's put the Seahawks at a real disadvantage. Now with Desai, one of the bright young minds in the NFL defensive circle altogether, who is a brilliant guy himself and an excellent communicator, Clint Hurt, who has a serious tough guy mentality and is a very good technique and scheme coach the two of them are familiar with each other them working together with a lot of the young defensive stars that are in Seattle or stars to be is a should be one of the most tremendously exciting things for Seahawks this year Seahawks fans watching the team are going to get to see different things on both sides of the ball but I think you're going to see more and faster progress on the defensive side than you are on the offensive side and there's good reason for that and a lot of it comes from Clint Hurt and Sean Desai.
1: Now, we've talked uh, multiple times throughout this entire, you know, two-month-long series about some teams being almost like a familial operation, sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively. The Seahawks, I think, are one of those organizations because the amount of either former Seahawks themselves or connections to former Seahawks or connections to people that are currently Seahawks, the amount of... uh, the amount of history and connection that the assistant coaching staff underneath the coordinators have is not common around the league. There's, there's very much a, uh, a Seahawk DNA that runs through all of these assistants. Just one thing really quick. We want to thank our sponsor today for helping to make this show possible and by extension this entire series possible, Babble. Babbel is a language learning app that for people like me who really want to become functional speakers of any number of up to 14 different languages, including German, Spanish, French, and even Italian too, this is a really critical app for us. For Bootleg in particular, and of course, my other YouTube channel, 30% of our audience is not in the United States. And just within our top five audiences alone, the main spoken languages are Spanish, German, and Portuguese, in addition to, obviously, English. So being able to learn new languages to better connect with our audience while we're traveling around the world and trying to go to different NFL games in different countries... That's a pretty big deal for us Babbel lessons have been created by over a hundred different linguistics experts and they're scientifically proven to be effective and in my opinion most importantly of all they also have speech recognition technology to help improve your pronunciation and accent which believe me i know how tricky that can be to master especially for german Babbel also gives you access to podcasts games videos stories and even live classes plus it all comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee So if you yourself are interested in learning a second or maybe even third language right now, if you get a three month subscription to Babbel at the link in the description below, you'll also get an additional three months for free. That is six months of Babbel language lessons for the price of three. You're going to find all of that at Babbel.com promo code bootleg. Again, that is Babbel.com promo code bootleg to take advantage of that offer. And with that, thank you once again to Babbel. Let's get back to the show.
0: On offense, I'm going to start off with Kerry Joseph because Kerry Joseph is one of the most fascinating players and coaches on this list. So he is the assistant QB coach for Seattle. He is a former Seahawks safety. He was a college quarterback, came to the league. The league said, nope, you're not going to be playing quarterback here. You're going to play safety. He did that successfully as a Seahawk. And after his time as a Seahawk, he goes to the CFL, the Canadian Football League. He joins the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, he becomes a quarterback again, goes back to playing quarterback, and not like just back to, you know, sort of catching the ball in every snap. He is named the most outstanding player, which is that league's MVP, and he becomes a great cup champ. He basically wins their Super Bowl as a quarterback. So college quarterback, Seahawks safety, goes to the CFL, basically named MVP, and wins the Super Bowl. Fascinating player arc. He, he's uh, like Canadian Kurt Warner. Yes, in (laughs) reverse. It's amazing. Uh, No, Kerry Joseph, great, great story. Another fun coach, Chad Morton, who is the run game coordinator and running back coach. He's a seven-year NFL veteran as a running back and a kick punt returner. He was drafted by the Saints in 2000 as a fifth rounder. Favorite stat about Chad Morton that I learned, only player in NFL history to return a kickoff for a touchdown in regulation and overtime of the same game so wait what yes he had two kickoff returns for touchdowns wondering regulation wondering overtime and whenever a stat says only player in nfl history i my ears perk up i'm like that's there's that's a, like a
1: Devin hester stat yeah like that's huh you would okay. if you
0: had to guess you would say Porto Patterson, Devin Hester, maybe Metcalf, somebody like that. Josh
1: Cribbs.
0: Yeah, Eric, not DK. Sorry, my bad. Uh, I'm dating myself. But, uh, (laughs) you know, yeah, Josh Cribbs. Like, no, it's Chad Morton, only player in NFL history to hold that distinction, which is pretty cool. Then we get to Nate Carroll. uh, If the last name sounds familiar, yep. It's Pete Carroll's youngest son. He's got 11 years of coaching experience. He was the wide receivers coach in Seattle for the last four years. Uh, He's moved on to being an offensive assistant now. More broad title, probably doing some game planning things that are outside just a specific position. And then there's Brad Idzik, who is the assistant wide receivers coach. And he is the son of John Idzik, who is the VP of football administration, again, for Seattle. Here's that family Seattle theme uh 07 to 12 and then went on to be the gm of the jets in 2013. So lots of connections lots of connections to the Seahawks different connections family player former player all that good stuff on the defense and special team side gonna start off with a name really familiar to Seahawks fans if they've been following the team for a while that's Aaron Curry who is the assistant defensive line and specifically DE coach this is the former first rounder for the Seahawks. Fourth overall was thought to be a can't miss prospect. Won the Butkus Award in 2008 as the nation's top college linebacker. If you talk to everybody, including me that year, who was just getting into draft evaluation, sort of part time, and said, do you think Aaron Curry will be a success? Probably 10 out of 10 would have said, yeah. Yeah, bust potential on him is extremely low. Only played four years in the league, ended up having a cup of coffee with the Raiders at the end of his career. Never really did anything in the league, but yet those strong family connections. Once a Seahawk, always a Seahawk. Seahawks brought him back a few years ago as a coach, one of his first coaching jobs, and he's currently their assistant DL and DE coach. Really interesting sort of turnaround you can call it a second act whatever you want to but Aaron Curry largely lauded as one of the biggest draft busts of all time biggest draft surprise busts of all time is back with the Hawks and helping them win ball games on defense really cool story Damian Lewis is their assistant defensive line coach for defensive tackles His name should sound familiar. Former NFL DT, played 10 years in the league with the Rams, Panthers, and Texans. And finally, Deshaun Shedd, one that you were uh, happy to see on this roster of coaches, uh, Mm -hmm. is their assistant DB coach. Eight-year NFL career as a DB for the Seahawks, the Lions, and the Saints, was part of Seattle's Super Bowl winning team in 2013 and now back as a coach. So really
1: strong thread of former Seahawksdom throughout the entire notable coaches list so in 2009 Aaron Curry's draft year he was obviously the first linebacker taken (laughs) the second linebacker taken was Aaron Maben who also had like less than 40 career tackles the third fourth fifth and sixth linebackers taken in that class were Brian Cushing Clay Matthews James Laurinaitis Ray Mauluga you never know. You never know is the best thing to pull out of that entire story. But it's really cool
0: that he gets to – that he that the team would bring him back, give him another opportunity, and he gets to go make his, you know, hopefully legend as a coach. Maybe he becomes one of the greatest defensive line coaches ever after 10 or 15 years. But the opportunity to come back even after what would be, you know, you would imagine not a great taste in the Seahawks' mouth. The Seahawks are – a family organization and they will bring back their own
1: now looking at uh the losses section on the roster this could be people that got cut people that got traded all the general ways that you can quote unquote lose talent the list is fairly extensive uh some of them were key contributors obviously the russell wilson trade i'm not going to belabor the point we already talked extensively about him leaving and why that happened and all that kind of stuff but in terms of everybody else that they just shed on the roster, mostly trimming the fat, I would say. Adrian Peterson, he's 37. I don't consider that a, a major loss at this point. Alex Collins played about a quarter of the snaps. Not a major loss. They lost four edge rushers. Again, lost in keywords, or in quotation marks. Benson Ayoa, uh Kerry Hyder, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, Rasheem Green. Dunlap's probably the best out of those four, but he's also a part-time player at this point. He's a guy that's going to come in for 30 snaps a game. Not going to start for you. He's going to be a rotational guy in Kansas City, for instance, where he just signed four days ago, I think, <laughs> as of the time we're recording this, for like $8 million a year. So again, not a major loss, I would say. Gerald Everett. Quality tight end, but you could argue they got a better one back and Noah fan. So most of the guys that they shed were not major pieces, and therefore I think it's fine. It's, it's, they're not anybody you can't replace semi-easily. There were two, including Russell, that I feel like really hurt, and it was Russell himself and Chris Carson, who unfortunately had to retire just a couple days ago as of the time of us recording this due to a neck injury. Carson is one of my favorite Seahawks of the last decade or so because he reminded me so much of beast mode how he ran how aggressive he was how tough he was how the contact balance everything like that he could catch he was a three down player that one legitimately hurts that they're not ever going to get to to use him again and i think the kenneth walker pick when it happened signaled a little bit that something wasn't quite right there and you know they signed uh they signed back Rashad Penny like a month before that so the signing of Rashad Penny back and drafting Walker immediately red flags went off we're like okay why are they doing that unless unless something something's not looking good with Carson and then he tried he really did he tried to come back but it just it wasn't gonna happen and so he had to retire that one legitimately hurts me because when he's on the field he is a difference maker but we only got Unfortunately, five years of Chris Carson in the NFL, I wish we got a lot more than that because he's a brilliant, brilliant player.
0: Carson's an all-time great Seahawk, and I will miss watching him run the football because he was a lot more than a lot of people thought he was. Again, starting where he started, he was not a heralded player coming out of college. He fit the Seahawks mold, and he played Really, really hard, and unfortunately, he got injured in a way for that position that you can't continue with. You can't continue with that neck injury and keep lowering your head and running the way he ran uh, with that condition. It's a bummer because he was an amazing player. I put out a tweet when he said he had to retire that he always seemed like a player that got the most out of what he had. And usually that's kind of a backhanded compliment compliment to lower skilled players. In his case, it wasn't. He got everything out of what he had and he had a lot. And that's what made him a great player and a fun player to watch. The other one on this list, I would argue, that hurts and certainly hurts Seahawks fans' hearts, is Bobby Wagner.
1: Oh shit, I forgot
0: Bobby's gone. Yep. Yep. Bobby's oh, Bobby's right up there mean... with Russ. It's it's binary stars, okay, yeah, offense you're right, you're and defense. Right. So Russ is, has been the face and mm. the leader and everything else, but Bobby, just as importantly on the other side of the ball. Also, Hall of Fame player, Hall of Fame resume, who looks to have early returns with the Rams that look really good. And much like Russ ends up with a very talented team in Denver, Bobby ends up with a very talented team, arguably just as talented, Come you know, reigning Super Bowl champions, and gets to bring his style of play, his leadership, his knowledge, his abilities that still now, you know, is he as fast as he used to be? No. Does he cover as much ground? No. Is he just as smart? Yes, he is still whip smart and the Rams have already commented uh some of the Rams coaches commented that it's annoying that he's always in the right place like they're like he shouldn't be able to get there but the reason he gets there is because he knows pre-snap and he still gets there no wasted motion super efficient all the great hallmarks of bobby wagner play mentally are still there and he's surrounded by way more talent i think it's safe to say in la on the defensive side of the ball than he would have been in seattle does it hurt to lose him? Yes, franchise legend. Does he go to a better place? Yeah, for this year, he does. That's not going to ease the sting, especially that he stayed in division uh, for Seahawks fans. That's that's going to hurt a little bit. They're going to be happy because Seahawks fans love Bobby Wagner. They're going to be a little bit sad because it's for the Rams.
1: I cannot believe I forgot that Bobby is gone. I In my head, I just always...
0: <laughs> Seahawk forever. Like you're, I, you're just like Seahawks fans. Russ it, and Bobby never leaving. It was almost more
1: unconscionable that Bobby was gone than Russ. Like to me, like Legion of Boom. He was the heart and soul of it as a young linebacker. Yeah. Like he was a top two linebacker in his prime. It was him and Keekly. Him that and Keekly. was the discussion for what half a decade. Yep. Who's the best linebacker in the league? Like Bobby to me was my brain almost doesn't even compute that he's not going to be in Seattle this year. I completely forgot he's in LA and for yeah. only 10 million too, which for a linebacker who is still a, you know, Wagner's caliber, I know he's older now, but like you said, he's so smart and no wasted steps. He never falls steps. He's always going to be in the right place at the right time. Even if he's not getting there as fast as he used right. to, like, you know, now he's in that kind of like late stages, Ray Lewis period where he's, He's winning on smarts and experience and all that kind of stuff. And in some ways, those guys are more dangerous because everything they do is intentional. They're not guessing anymore. If they're getting somewhere, they're getting there because they know they need to. So yeah. My yeah, favorite thing about that is watching the young Rams
0: linebackers, specifically the guys that play inside, and their absolute, like, doe-eyed reverence for for Bobby Wagner because he is what they all aspire to be. And they just look at him like, Whoa, he's here. Like he's on my field wearing my uniform. And
1: I'm just like, Oh, like <laughs> it's, it's really cool to see first ballot Hall of Famer. And I will fight anyone who disagrees first ballot Hall of Famer. I
0: don't know why they would.
1: Yeah. Uh Also, we should probably mention DJ Reed. He's with the jets too. Um Again, solid capable starting corner they they brought in some options to replace him as their starting right corner he mostly played on the right side last year there have been early positive reports out of camp I definitely believe them for one not sure I believe them for the other which is probably the best possible transition that I'm going to get to all of their retentions and third-party additions I'll kind of throw them all in in one group because I think they they all kind of fit together. You know, Will Disley, they brought back for $8 million a year to presumably be their starting tight end. Uh, Kyle Fuller, the center, not the corner, brought him back. Um, Geno Smith, they brought him back to compete with Drew Locke. Sidney Jones to be their starting left corner. Al Woods, 35 years young, still doing it on the interior. Rashad Penny mentioned they brought him back after that ridiculous tear that he went on late in the year where he put up a billion yards so they brought him back uh, even after they didn't pick up his option but they're like kind of still want him on the roster especially with the Carson questions lingering and then Quandre Diggs that's the big one brought him back at safety 13 million a year which considering the going rate for say Minka Fitzpatrick is 18 million I love Minka this is not a shot at Minka but I would rather have Quandre Diggs at 13 personally for the value for what you're getting dollars per snap dollars per production Quandre Diggs at 13 million is a great deal Now, in terms of the replacing DJ Reed part of the equation that I mentioned, third-party additions, Artie Burns, Bears fans, cover your ears, and Steelers fans, cover your ears. Mm. Artie Burns at $2 million a year at right corner right now in camp is getting hype. Not sure I believe it, but it's happening, and we have to talk about it. We have to report it. If Artie Burns turns into a capable starting corner for this defense, Sean Desai should go to the Hall of Fame right alongside Bobby Wagner. First ballot, I don't give a shit. If he makes Artie Burns a good, solid starting corner, I bow before thee, Sean Desai.
0: I will lose my
1: goddamn mind
0: because I did not like Artie Burns coming out in the draft. He, I had Steelers fans arguing me up and down. No, no, he's great. And after three years, Steelers fans were like, oh, no, no, you're right. He's, he's not good. And then as retribution, the universe put him on the bears. And I was like, oh, this, and people like, hey, man, he was a first rounder. I was like, "Ah, no, (laughs) no, he's not great. And he was average. He's better than he was in his first couple of years in the league. He has improved. He's. Not in my mind, who you want starting at outside corner. Now, it's early camp. It's hype. Uh, Pete loves to say positive things about everybody. So that's all real possible. uh What the Steelers, sorry, what the Steelers, what the Seahawks are hoping for, Steelers don't want to hear anything more about it. <laughs> what the Seahawks are hoping for is that one of their draft picks ascends, wins the job as a rookie, and Artie Burns can teach him all his nice tricks and the rookie can start and Burns can be the backup because Artie Burns, let's be honest, is a fine backup corner, especially at that price. Like he can come in and give you some solid quarters. You don't want him leading off against some very talented receivers in your
1: own division week in and week out. No. No way. Like I again, for me, best case scenario, Kobe Bryant, the Seahawk obviously uh, ends up winning that job. Cause I think that Bryant's ceiling is enormous and I really, really, really want to see what he can do. Um, I've seen what already Burns can do. We're just hoping for, okay, that's what we're hoping for. And I, I don't mean to be harsh, but we're what year five on this thing and year five and team number three. I don't know. I don't know. I just don't buy it.
0: I think they'll I be care. all right. Like Trey Brown's gonna start the year on on the pup and when Trey Brown comes off and they've got Kobe Brown, like they'll have enough options at outside corner with Desai. I mean, look, Sean Desai, you were talking about bust free coverages. You have to remember that last year in Chicago, Sean Desai patched together a secondary with Jalen Johnson and nothing. Because yeah, Eddie Kendall Vilder starting outside. Kendall Vilder <laughs> was starting outside. If you don't know who that is, I completely forgive you. Eddie Jackson was not playing up to spec. Uh, they had Gibson at the other safety. He was average at best, and they were rotating Duke Shelley, Kendall Vilder at the other corner in a division with the Minnesota Vikings receiving core, Aaron Rodgers, And the Bears hung in games with that patchwork bunch of dudes,
1: and and even Artie himself, Artie Burns, was
0: rotating through that. And Sean Desai made it work. So if you bring back Trey Brown off the pup, and Kobe develops the way develops a little bit, he doesn't. I mean, it's not as if he's a terrible player. He was a good player at Cincinnati. Like you're going to have enough pieces for Desai to to weave together a more-than-functional secondary.
1: Now, in addition to bringing in Artie Burns at $2 million, which I have to imagine was a Desai-approved move because he coached 100%. Him in Chicago, too. He wouldn't have brought him over from Chicago unless he liked working with him. Um, now, Drew Locke, uh, Shelby Harris, Noah Fant was the trio they got back in the Russell Wilson trade. Drew Locke, he's still 26, and he's got talent. We'll see. Uh, but I kind of used the same same methodology that I used for Desai and Burns. If Shane Waldron gets the most out of Drew Locke at this point, I bow before you, sir. You are truly a special coach. And that's nothing against Drew Locke, but... Uh, we just never saw it in Denver. We never saw it. Like Maybe it was just a function of environment. Maybe it was just a function of who was coaching him. But I, I found myself especially after his rookie year, I found myself so utterly disappointed with where he was versus where he could have been. Cause mm-hmm. I, I remember him early on in college when he was playing as a freshman. And I was like, Holy shit. Like this kid's got a gun. He can move. I thought he was, you know, future top 10 talent. And there was a lot of people back then who thought it was a future top 10 talent. And he just never got there. And then we got to the NFL and we, same things. Oh, he's, he's got arm strength, mobility, all the tools. Seems like a cool, likable kid. Just never got there. So hopefully Shane Waldron can work his magic. Again, he's still only 26. Maybe there's still something there. But I mean, going back to when he was 19, I feel like I, I fell forward over and over and over again. I'm not ready to fall forward again. Now, Noah Fant still really like him um he's probably going to be competing with disley for the starting tight end job and at least at least if it was up to me i would favor fant in that battle just on pure talent even though disley has the history with with the franchise and we know what he can do he's a reliable target all that kind of stuff in terms of just pure ceiling i would favor fant and then shelby harris all underrated team, I would say, in terms of uh interior defensive linemen. We love Shelby Harris. Uh, he can rush the passer, known for batting down passes, by the way, because he's got tons of length. Really good at kind of timing his jumps and and knocking down stuff to line of scrimmage. Very solid interior player. Uh, I mentioned Uchenna Nwosu before. He is likely going to be the starting Sam for now, in front of Boye Mafe. For me, Boye Mafe is. Really talented. It's going to be tough to keep him off the field. Wouldn't be surprised if he pushes for the starting job sooner rather than later. But for now, Uchenna Nwosu is that guy at Sam. Austin Blythe, uh, probably going to compete for starting center because Pocic is gone. So it's either him or Kyle Fuller, and I'd probably favor Blythe in that battle over Fuller. Uh, Justin Coleman, uh, 29 years old, going to be competing for starting reps at corner. Um, alongside obviously Brown and Burns and Brian and Tariq Woolen, all these guys—they they got a million corners on this roster at this point. You know, maybe he'll compete with Ugo Amadi for the nickel job, yep. but we'll see what happens there. That's probably a camp battle to watch. Which by the time this goes live, maybe we'll have an answer to that. But as of right now, we don't. And then uh, Q Jeff Quentin Jefferson, back in the Seattle area. Uh, I thought he was a very underrated inside slash outside guy that you could put at a variety of different spots again probably like 30 snaps a game ish type of rotational player but it's 30 snaps of fire and fury he was really really productive at least in terms of for his snap count his first time around in seattle and uh, he's only 29 i think he's still got a lot of gas left i really love that pickup for them Um, again pete carroll already knows what he can do and he's a very quality player
0: Yeah, I like a lot of the additions. Jenin Wosu is one of my favorite. I think he showed some of what he could do with the Chargers, but he was never really going to be a key starter for them, and I think he is for the Hawks. I I would love to see him and Boye Mafe in certain packages on the field together. If you're sort of talking about the way we talk about offensive line, and your best five, I think Jenin Wosu – And boy, Mafé on third downs will be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping we get to see that and they don't just stack them and say, well, they're both play the same position, so we can't do that. If Mafé can handle a couple of rush packages and being opposite in Wosu, now now you've got my attention. Uh, that should be a good time. Shelby Harris becomes more important given that they sort of cleaned house on the defensive line and they needed new starters, not just to throw away or throw in it's, that was a purposeful choice by the Hawks to say, we need to get a player back who we can use. Um, Fant I think wins the starting tight end job because boy if I'm Shane Walter I want his ability to stretch the field Will Disley is a great tight end and I really enjoy watching him play Noah Fant's got skills Will Disley doesn't Um, Blythe will most likely be the starting center Justin Coleman right now is penciled in as the starting nickel and Q Jeff is a great you know second wave rotational defensive player who again the staff is really familiar with and I hope it's just like old home week and he comes back plugs right in and he's I realize it's a different system but he can be productive again because he was uh he was the all underrated team when he left Seattle the first time and now he's back.
1: Now in terms of the draft, we've talked multiple times about it since the draft happened but for those of you who are new here, uh spoiler alert We loved it. This was a very not Seahawks type draft. And I don't mean that because it was good. Like the Seahawks have had good drafts before. But it was a non Seahawks type draft because it almost felt chalky. You know, Charles Cross, like we were hoping would be the pick, but we weren't convinced was gonna be the pick at the top. Boye Mafe we loved, but it was almost weird that the Seahawks took a player that was universally highly graded uh I I was pleasantly surprised that they got away from the kind of random Seahawksy picks and just took a whole bunch of really damn good players that at least speaking from experience everybody had actually watched before
0: <laughs> yeah this is John Schneider getting back on the bike he got a bunch of picks and everybody was really Quietly worried about that in Seattle. They're like, yeah, he got a bunch of picks for Russell, but have you seen what he does with the picks lately? And instead, he rips off this. And this is a masterpiece of a draft. Yes, it takes three years to grade a draft, but on its face value for where they started and what they got, this is masterwork. This is incredible stuff. Round one, pick nine, Charles Cross, the tackle, my ot one from this class mississippi state seahawks need help at tackle charles cross is a perfect fit and in terms of where he's available and their choice can't say anything bad about it round two pick 40 both of these were picks from the broncos boy maffe the linebacker from minnesota crazy athletic like almost unlimited physical upside potential when he gets with I guarantee Clint hurt was like cool when they selected him because he knew he had a new weapon. Round two pick 41. this is where Seahawks fans took some umbrage. I don't know if I say take some umbrage because with Chris Carson retiring, getting the best running back in the draft in my opinion. my RB1, Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. Love the value pick. People say he didn't catch the ball a lot at Michigan State. That's because they didn't throw him the ball a lot at Michigan State. If you look at the few reps where he caught the ball, he ran routes like a wide receiver. He catches the ball with his hands, and he was able to be very productive in Yak afterwards. Great pick, and with Chris Carson retiring, makes even more sense. So within the first three picks, you've got OT1, a very highly rated edge, and RB1. That alone, Mm -hmm. as a draft class, would be real good right there, especially with John Schneider's recent history for drafting. I would have been satisfied right there. Didn't stop. Hits kept on coming. Round three, pick 72. They go across the state to Wazoo, Washington State, for those of you not in Washington. Get Abraham Lucas, very skilled offensive tackle, who slid a little bit right as we got to the draft, but he was on preseason All-America lists. He was thought to be the running for the top two or three tackles in this draft class very talented player, and when you pair him and cross together, it's really possible the Seahawks got a pair of bookends that could last for six or seven years. That's impressive. Keeps right on driving. Round four, pick 109, Kobe Bryant, the corner from Cincinnati, who we've talked about was the corner across from Sauce Gardner at Cincinnati. Not nearly as skilled as Sauce, but nobody in this draft was. That's why Sauce went in the first round of the Jets. That's nothing against Kobe Bryant. He is a very skilled player and could, in this secondary, especially with Sean Desai's coaching, rise to a very capable starter pretty quickly. Round 5, pick 153, one of our 10 gems on defense, Tariq Willen, the cornerback out of UTSA. We talked about Boye Maffe being freaky athletically. Tariq Willen, about 6'4", runs in the high four twos, long as all get-out. Yeah, he needs to work on technique. He's only a year and a half into playing corner. Again, almost unlimited physical potential. If he develops into a starting corner, the NFC West is not going to like throwing at him. He is aggressive, loves to tackle. A lot of guys that tall, not their favorite thing to do. Tariq Woolen, aggressive, physical, fast, long, everything you need in a corner. Just got to put together some more technique reps. We'll see how that goes. Round five, pick 158. Underrated, I think this might have been my favorite. Like, nobody knows who that is pick. And I think he could turn out to be really productive. And that's Tyreek Smith, the defensive end or edge from Ohio State. In a typical year, not a loaded draft class like this one that was one of the largest draft classes in history. Tyreek Smith, in my mind, goes in the third round at the latest in third fourth somewhere around there yep. yeah all around edge player played at a big school big conference was productive has the physical traits you're looking for the only reason he's available in round five this year is just because there were so many edges i think the seahawks got a bit of a steal in tyreek smith round seven pick 229 one of your favorites bo melton wide receiver from rutgers Again, in a typical year, Bo Melton is not in the 7th round. He shouldn't have been in the 7th round in this draft. But he was, and the Seahawks benefit. Round 7, pick 233, Derek Young, wide receiver from Lenore Ryan, who we got to see at the Senior Bowl. This guy is more of a project. He is an incredible athlete. Are you sensing a theme here? <laughs> Just rocked up as a wide receiver. Big. Tall, strong, solid guy who's also crazy fast. Turns out not as great at catching the ball, but has potential for special teams and as a developmental player that you could stash on the practice squad that nobody's going to steal. And if he polishes up his receiver game, and Seattle has done very well with lower drafted or undrafted wide receiver prospects in the past... If you hit on Dariq Young, you're going to hit big because his physical skills are as good as anybody in the draft. His receiving skills need some work, so we'll see if they can bring those up to par, and if they do, you could get a
1: contributor for what is basically a throwaway lottery pick at the end of the draft. I think between Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas at the top two tackle spots, Kenneth Walker at running back, Kobe Bryant at corner, Boye Mafé at, let's just use the ubiquitous edge term, because who knows exactly where he's going to line up. I think as rookies, you've got five potential starters here. And that's not even taking into account, hey, you know, maybe Tyreek Smith turns into something. Maybe Bo Melton, even though it is a little bit of a harder wide receiver room to crack, because DK Metcalf is obviously one of the highest paid most revered receivers in the league at this point Tyler Lockett's a Seahawks legend in his own right Freddie, Freddie Swain um D. Eskridge Marquise Goodwin like there's still a whole bunch of guys there and obviously Derrick Young too it's a little bit of a tough receiver lineup to crack for the starting spot but Bo Melton or Derrick Young both have the talent to do it eventually I think we're looking at five early starters here Potentially up to seven starters total if they really knock this draft out of the park. And that would be up there with the 2012, I would say, Seahawks class of greatest in franchise history. Even if they're just, <laughs> I use the term just, getting five starters out of this class, that would still be one of the greatest classes of all time. And so I think John Schneider really, really needed a draft like this because boy, my patience was wearing thin. There was too many years of, let's just say it, wasted picks. And I think the wasted picks really is what depleted the depth on this roster and the top-end depth on this roster to the point that made Russell want to leave because he felt like he couldn't make a run with where the roster was at. And he was right. So John Schneider needed this draft and Boy, he nailed it. So golf claps to him, did a phenomenal job. Hopefully the coaching staff uh, can turn these guys into a threshing machine because they have the talent to do it. UDFA-wise, I'm I'm not going to lie, EJ, the only one I really want to talk about is the one that's no longer there, Caleb Ellaby. What the hell, man? I loved him coming out. I thought that if there was any quarterback room in the league that he could have stuck it would have been this one, and somehow he's already gone. What the hell? I don't know. I wish I did. This is Sky Moore's quarterback from Western Michigan.
0: Both of us, uh, Caleb Ellaby caught both of our eyes watching Sky Moore's tape, and there's something there. He is a talented quarterback. First indication that might not be a thing was he was only a camp invite. He wasn't a true UDFA. It was just a show up basically for you know rookie camp weekend, and we'll see if we want to offer you something whatever he didn't stick uh i don't have a ton of faith in the seahawks doing that because uh, some of my previous all-time favorite quarterback prospects got a cup of coffee with the seahawks and they didn't stick there either so uh i i wasn't holding my breath but yeah i would have loved to see caleb lb again even as a developmental player on the practice squad because it's not like the seahawks are particularly loaded at quarterback right now uh only a couple of other players they did bring in quite a handful of players which i always love to see i will say john schneider's udfa uh tastes run slightly differently than mine and he usually brings in a lot of players that i either i wouldn't have or i'm just plain old not familiar with the seahawks are definitely a beat the bushes type franchise and and find hidden gems if they can the two that probably top my list are bubba bolden the safety from miami very athletically talented played in some rough defenses at miami not necessarily his fault i could see him being a very classic seahawks undrafted free agent that sticks ends up being a contributor both in sort of like dime packages special teams whatever the Seahawks have a long tradition of strong tradition of UDFA contributions I can see Boba Bolden slotting into that and the other one is a complete long shot this is not uh I think he's gonna make the roster this is oh my god he had some of the funnest tape in this entire draft class and it's Josh onu Jigo ah, I knew I was gonna blow it Onu Jigo can't get that out Ono jiogu there we go from Framingham State. Now, if you haven't heard of Framingham State, yeah, not a huge school. So he was playing against a lot of plumbers and future tractor salesmen, and I get that. Despite that, this guy has a knack. He plays edge. He has a knack for picking up town ta- uh, tackles and using them as a weapon to knock into the quarterback. And he does it <laughs> over and over again. It's like not a fluke. He just basically... Forklifts tackles and drives them into their quarterback, which has got to be terrifying as a quarterback. But uh, his highlight tape made a bit of a splash in draft circles. People started to give him some attention, even though I think Framingham State is D3, uh,
1: if that. And, you know. Yeah, but he's 6'2", 250 with a 35-inch vert and a 10-foot broad. Like, that. you got to get a shot with those kind of measurables. Yeah,
0: those kind of measurables and just – ludicrous tape like if you're looking to scout players at the lower levels what you want to see is utter domination like you just want to see them destroying all those you know future lawyers doctors tractor salesmen and postmen you just want to see them leveling those people and that's all his tape was was just him blowing up guy after guy and making them look completely helpless so seahawks saw it gave him a shot Uh, He is in camp. He made it through the initial rookie weekend. So, um, you know, something to keep an eye on because, again, like you said, he's not short on tools.
1: All right, team floor, team ceiling, final segment. This is our projected ceiling and wins for the team as well as our projected floor and wins. Somewhere within that spectrum we think they'll land. For me, I think max eight wins, and that's pretty much because of the quarterback situation. We saw what happened to this team last year when – Russell was not there to bail them out. And even though the roster has added some talent we really like, it's still not all the way there to the point where it can carry the quarterback situation that they have right now, which is we're staring down the barrel of either Drew Locke or Geno Smith. Like maybe by the time this comes out, we'll know Jimmy G may I I Not that I think that that changes a whole lot. It's still eight wins for me without jimmy g if jimmy goes there give them nine sure but it, it, they can be an average team which i think considering where the roster was at last year and where they're in the process of trying to build this thing back up to what it was in the early 2010s if they can just be an average team that's a success this year it really is the floor however if things bottom out Similar to how they did last year, but the floor with Russ is always going to be higher. Looking at their schedule, I really only see four games on the roster that I I think I feel good about. And it's one of them against the Niners, because they're always going to beat the Niners at least once. They they have a habit of beating the Niners, no matter how good each team is. The Cardinals Week 6, because Hopkins is not going to be back yet from suspension, I think is a winnable game for them plus it's at home uh the Giants is a winnable game because I do like the Seahawks defensive talent and their defensive coaches and I'm still not 100% sure what we're getting out of Daniel Jones here so I think that going into the game is winnable and the Panthers because Panthers Panthers so (laughs) four is probably about my floor I I think that some people are saying, "Okay, they're gonna be first overall contention. Maybe I mean four wins would be contention for that level of pick, but I don't necessarily think they're the worst team in the league or have the potential to be the worst team in the league. I do think that they have enough talent to at least just be below average, even if the bottom falls out. But I would be shocked if they're anything more than eight. I really would. I just I don't quite see it. Yeah, my
0: absolute ceiling is just a little bit more optimistic. I say nine, and that is if Waldron's offense was just hidden under Russ and it explodes and they start putting up some points with whoever is at quarterback. I, For the record, I don't think it'll be Jimmy G. I see how it makes sense. I don't think it happens if it does happen i don't think it changes that much maybe like you said you get one more win that doesn't mean 10 for me i'm going to nine with that my ceiling's nine and that's the absolute ceiling the best possible result for the seahawks this year in my mind nine wins my floor also a game higher than yours at five because yes those four winnable games but between p carroll and Sean DeSai and Clint Hurt bringing up the level of the defense, they're gonna surprise somebody in the other twelve games outside those four, you know, four or five winnable ones you saw. They're gonna steal one. And oh yeah. Even if they're terrible, they're gonna steal one. And I don't see Pete Carroll led team, even without Russell, winning only four games. I would say five. Now, oh, the, the Chargers
1: that, are fucking sweating right now. They play them on October twenty <laughs> third, and that just Feels like a Chargers loss to me.
0: It we just <laughs> yeah we just got done talking about the Chargers chargering. Uh, I I can't see the Seahawks winning less than five. They have a lot of talent. Is it enough talent not to be at the highest levels of competition in the NFL right now? This is not a team that's going to contend for the division or even a wild card. Even at nine wins, it would be rough within their own division. And that's their best possible case they're probably going to be somewhere in the middle this is maybe a six win team maybe a seven win team if they play pretty well this year it is a rebuilding year and they have to find their quarterback still once they do if this draft class develops if some of the younger players that were already on the roster continue to develop this team could get good pretty quickly but they are going to have to solve the quarterback question just like any team in the NFL.
1: Well. Hopefully, Seahawks fans, uh, we, we gave you that little bit of hope you wanted and needed. Because I know that it's been a rough off season. Russ is gone. Bobby's gone. But hey, DK got paid. DK's not going anywhere.
0: DK got paid.
1: You got that. We're going to be up there in a few weeks. At week one, go tailgate with you guys. We're doing our best here. We're trying to give you some hope. We're trying to make you feel <laughs> happy about the Seahawks here. again. It's it's going to be one of those years. It's going to be one of those years. But I think that they are set up to have the potential. Good Lord, that's a lot of qualifying statements. They are set up to have the potential to maybe possibly reload and turn this thing around and, and go on another run in a couple years. Still got to get a quarterback. That's priority number one. But if there was ever a year to get it, it's probably in the next quarterback class coming out. So, hey. Build the roster, get into a good spot for like Will Levis or whoever to come in in 2023, and uh, we'll go from there. We'll see how it is. But hopefully, again, Seahawks fans, you're feeling semi-decent or as decent as you possibly can. Hmm. If you want to hear about the rest of the NFC West or if you're just an NFL fan in general and you want to hear about the rest of the NFC West, we're doing deep dives the rest of the week on the rest of the division. This is our final division in this series. The
0: last week
1: two months into this beast we're almost done we got four more episodes remaining tomorrow is the cardinals right cardinals and then niners then rams then the nfc west uh macro division look where we're kind of picking the winner and you know picking the individual awards so come back on friday for that as well and then <laughs> by the time this comes out and by the time this series is over we're gonna be like two weeks into preseason and we're starting up on the regular season so Lots more coming your way. Thank you all for listening. Be back here same time tomorrow, same place for our Cardinals episode. And until then, later. Take care.